Hello, and welcome to the Signpost Inn podcast, a space at life's crossroads to connect with God and find direction. Pour yourself a drink, grab a seat, and join us on the back porch for a friendly conversation about Christian prayer, spirituality, and faithful theology. My name's Matt. And I'm Brandon, and we're really glad you're here. The Signpost Inn podcast is brought to you by the Signpost Inn ministry, where we offer spiritual direction, retreats and sabbatical residencies, and lots of resources and training. You can find out more about what we do and support us by visiting signpostin.org. This time around, I interview Adam Hensley, who's an expert on the book of Psalms. You're going to learn a ton of things you never knew about the Psalms today, uh, and next episode as well, because Adam had so much information to share, I've broken this interview up into two episodes. If you aren't already subscribed, please do so, so that you don't miss any of our episodes. And please also rate us and share us with your friends. We really appreciate your support, and I hope you enjoy the show. My guest today is Adam Hensley. Adam is an assistant professor of Old Testament studies and Hebrew at Australian Lutheran College in Adelaide, Australia. He was ordained in 2000 and served as a parish pastor in Victoria, Australia for six years before heading back to school to earn his PhD at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri, which is where I met him and his lovely wife, Joanna. Since then, he has taught Old Testament and Hebrew at Concordia University in Irvine, California, returned to Australia and served a brief stint as a parish pastor, and then finally landed at Australian Lutheran College, where along with teaching, he serves as the Dean of Chapel. Adam and Joanna have six children, and he loves all manner of outdoorsy things. Um, And he's also written a book titled Covenant Relationships and the Editing of the Hebrew Psalter, and is currently working on a commentary on the last 50 Psalms. Um, And it's that last part that is the reason I wanted to talk to you today, Adam, um, because I want to talk about the Psalms. So um, first of all, thanks. Thanks for joining me all the way from Australia. My pleasure, Brandon. And uh, I should uh, say to you, happy epiphany, because here it is already the 6th of January, and it's a of course, important day in the church calendar. So I have my epiphany mug. It says, we three kings of Orient are, as I enjoy my morning coffee with you. So it's my pleasure to be with you. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I was looking at the time difference and thinking, can I crack the corny joke about what's it like in the future and all that stuff? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> although this will all be very interestingly out of context for our listeners, because this will most likely not come out until much, much later. And so everybody will be like, why are you talking about epiphany in the spring? So yeah, well, so Adam, you and I met back in seminary. We've kept in touch sort of off and on. I know our wives have kept in touch more than anything else. And but every now and then I think I really need to talk to Adam about these questions I have about the Psalms. And in the last, I guess, two or so years, the praying the Psalms have really become a big deal for me in my own personal mm. prayer life. And as I have been talking with people in a spiritual direction context, recommending prayer to the, of the Psalms has been a big part of that. I really, um, I heard N.T. Wright say something that really struck me recently that was that the Psalms were given to us to inhabit. And I think the idea, if I remember correctly, was was very much this idea that they that the the Psalms are a they're poetry of life. They give words to the things that we go through. And that's uh, that's kind of what I want to talk to you about at first is like, what are the Psalms? Why were they written? You know, real basic stuff. And I will ask that question just like, here's the simple question. Just 
talk to me about what they are, but I, I kind of want to give it a little spin, which is I've also encountered in myself and in other people a difficulty in in reading the Psalms, especially a difficulty in praying the Psalms. And, and a lot of that difficulty has, I think, come from a struggle with understanding what they even are. Like we go to the Psalms, we read the Psalms, we think we need to study the Psalms. And so there's like, I don't know, like, how would I even pray this? Like, I'm supposed to be learning something from it is kind of the question mm-hmm. I sometimes have. So let me let me throw that kind of mess of questions at you and let you yeah. <laughs> let you talk. Sure. Yeah, no, I think you, you touch on some really important uh, things with, when it comes to the Psalms and, and also their, their uniqueness in the Bible and that, um, yes, they're word of God, but they're also word of man. And in a, in a particular way, we, we pray them, they, they give us voice. Uh, in ways that um, we may not be able to find for ourselves if left to our own resources. And I think that's their, their, one of their greatest values for us as Christians. We, we're given words we can pray when we don't know what to pray ourselves. I think we, we, we're genuinely beggars in, before God. And, and that, I think that goes also for our prayer life. We, we often just don't know what to say. And uh, the Psalms teach us to pray. They, they, they teach us to pray in various ways, not just all one kind of prayer, you know, as you'll have noted in the, the, the Psalms as you experience them, uh, some are deep lament, uh, you know, they're very earnest, heartfelt, soul-rending cries for help. Uh, no human being alive hasn't felt that way, but oftentimes when we're in those places, what do we say? Uh, how do we how do we utter that? How do we express this? And and who best to discreet, um, or who better that to express it to than to God Himself in prayer, uh, our Creator and our Redeemer? So there's that kind of prayer, which is perhaps in the more petitionary style of prayer. That is, we we are asking, we are we are lamenting, we're we're naming uh, some problem that we're facing and uh, and some crisis, whether that crisis resides inside us, our sin, uh, you know, is troubling us. There are a number of psalms like that. We have the, the famous penitential psalms in the Bible, the seven of them traditionally, uh, that, that look at this internal crisis uh, of, of sin in the, in the believer. And then, of course, there are psalms that lament external crises, crises that come from it without us, that press in upon us and, uh, you know, maybe in the form of people who are oppressing us or, or just circumstances, perhaps sickness or struggle or whatever, yeah, external circumstances. So it's that kind of petitionary prayer, and we're taught to pray under such circumstances by the Psalms. Um, but we're also taught to give thanks and how to give thanks. We're taught to praise. We're actually given praises. Uh, we're taught to praise God for who He is and what He's done. Yeah, and I guess when I say taught, uh, just to pick up on one of those uh, struggles that you named earlier, you know, we think of learning and teaching, and we often think of it in very formal academic ways. The Psalms kind of teach us, I think, much more naturally and organically. They teach us by doing, by using them. Just as we're taught to worship God by sitting with mom or dad in the um, pew and following along, you know, following the hymn book and joining in the responses. We learn to worship by doing, by engaging in, participating in, what the people of God do together. Uh, the Psalms are very much like that in the way they teach us, uh, first and foremost. So I think devotionally we learn in that way. Uh, of course, there is the, the sort of 
teaching learning that you're talking about too this kind of distracting what have I got to learn from this you know uh, and I, I for me that's a particular occupational hazard every time I pick up the Psalter I um I, I'm curious about well what is that word in Hebrew or <laughs> what is going on there and how, how are these words strung together and you know the the mind kicks in in a different mode uh, but at a basic level, yes, the Psalms teach us, but they teach us by doing. I think that can help us focus a little bit in our use of the Psalms that we are, are, are sort of practice ourselves in using them. And yes, we'll, we'll learn from them in that, in that process. So yes, very diverse kind of prayers, aren't they? Um, and not all prayers. You, you named it, I think, before when you described them as poetry. They're all poetry, and that's pretty much all the Psalms have in common because some are, uh, are particularly prayers when you think about them in, in terms of genre uh, and others are, as we said, praises, thanksgiving. Others are, are very didactic, deliberately teaching in nature. They instruct, you know, you think about Psalms like Psalm 78, this long Psalm talking about the, the history of Israel, very cyclical history of God and his people where, you know, he is faithful to them, but they are unfaithful to him. And, and it kind of recounts in a, in a poetic form, uh, not strict chronology uh, as we read it in the, the other biblical books, but it's instructive in its teaching. It's saying, well, this is, this is the way it is, has been with um, in, you know, the relationship between God and his people. And this is deliberately a, an act of teaching to instruct and to you know, teach us about who we are before God and who he is um, as he comes to us. So th- there's another genre, if you like, that sort of emerges, a different certain function of psalmody that employs poetics, poetry in a, a particular way uh, that is not the same as the lament or the praise or the thanksgiving or confession or you know, lamentation for one's own sin. Those, um, so lots of diversity there. Yeah. Okay. Let me ask real basic questions first because I need a little bit of time to think about what you said. But the first one, like really, really basically, what does the word psalm mean? Well, good, good question. Yeah, that is a good place to start because uh, it illustrates that diversity I was talking about. Um, a psalm, psalm translates uh, a Hebrew word mizmor, which is a, a particular genre of psalm, genre in, in terms of how the Hebrews themselves classified some of the, these poems. But it only applies to some 57, I think, of the actual psalms. So we actually take a psalm that's used or take a title that's used for what is roughly a little more than a third of all the 150 psalms, and we call them the psalms. Interestingly, the, the Hebrew title for the book is Tehillim, Praises, which is fascinating because when you look at the individual psalms, so many of them don't sound like praises. <laughs> they sound like laments. They sound like uh, these uh, didactic teaching psalms or, or whatever else, but not praises in the usual sense. Now, there's a couple of reasons, I think, why it's helpful, though, to think of the, the psalms as a whole, as a book of praises. Well, one is the, the whole trajectory of, you use the word psalter. Psalter refers to the book of psalms, the whole group, the whole 150, uh, it's a collection of psalms, is a psalter, essentially. But the whole trajectory of the psalter is toward praise. When you think about the last five psalms, 146 to 150, all of them are what we call hallelujah psalms. We see the word hallelujah you know, at the beginning and end of all of them and you know, throughout some of those psalms. So there's, uh, there's a real kind of 
trajectory to the book of Psalms that leads us to praise. So lament is important. It's a real part of life and we need to learn to do that, but it's not the end in itself. The end is eternal praise of God with all the company of heaven that we look forward to. And in this life, the Psalms, is, the Psalms are a wonderful um, resource, gift of God to help us yearn for that end and to uh, ultimately praise God forever in heaven. So there are different purposes, functions for different of the Psalms throughout the entire collection. And it sounds like what you're saying right now is that the purpose of the collection, the purpose of the collection is to collect all the praises and to praise God. I mean, like that's the, as you were saying, that's the trajectory of the whole thing. Yeah, I, I would say that is a very important aspect of, of the purpose. It's not the only thing that would characterize the book and its purpose, I would suggest. It's, uh, it's also, I would say, very profoundly a book of the Messiah, a book of the Christ. Um, right from the beginning in Psalm 1, but more explicitly in Psalm 2, uh, we know we have the Messiah, the Lord and his Christ, the Lord and his Messiah. And, and, and David is like a type of, of this great Messiah to come. As we move through the book of Psalms, we move beyond a more explicit focus on David as David, the son of Jesse. Think of um, that title uh, that is given to David at the end of Psalm 72, which is at the end of book, book two. Uh, within in the confines of that opening pair of Psalms, one and two, where we read about uh, the Lord and his Messiah on the one hand and the end of book two, we have quite a focus on David. In fact, all, almost all of the first book of Psalms, of which there are five, like the whole Psalter is divided into these five mini books, you see. Um, so we're talking about the first two here. Uh, the first one is almost exclusively Davidic Psalms. In fact, David is the only name to which psalms are attributed when we get to book two uh, we have a, another very um, solid group of davidic psalms from psalm 51 onwards to the end of that book so there's a real focus on on david but in particular i'd suggest uh, david as father of the davidic dynasty of whom the messiah is the the great fulfiller of kingship in israel of course this is jesus and uh, when we move to the new testament Jesus has on his own lips the Psalms. He takes them on his own lips to speak them. We hear them from the cross. You know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Straight out of Psalm 22. Um, we, we go to books like Hebrews and we find that first chapter turns almost exclusively to the book of Psalms to prove that the Son, Christ, is superior to angels. It's a book of prophecy about the Christ. And so we find, find Christ there as well, very clearly uh, I, I'm particularly fascinated by the last third of the book of Psalms because uh, we, we again get a resurgence of, of more Davidic Psalms. And, and I think by that time uh, in the Psalms, whereas we've had that earlier focus on the David son of Jesse, David as head of the Davidic dynasty, by this stage, in the latter part of the Psalms, I think we're hearing more explicitly the voice of his great antitype, the, the, the great David's greater son, uh, who who comes into the fore and who who leads us in in well in all sorts of things, but in, in lament again, in um, in thanksgiving, uh, all, all this wonderful stuff that we we find in praise. Finally, at the very end of the Psalms. So 
I mean, am I correct in understanding that they are poems, songs? They're, are they, they're not all songs. Are they all songs? Are they all po- like you said? Poetry does tie them all together. But what's like? I mean, that's a dumb question, I suppose. But like, no, it's not a dumb question at all. Um, I mentioned before that the word psalm really translates just one word that applies to some fifty-seven of the actual poems we have in the Book of Psalms. The word song is another of them. Um, I haven't checked the frequency, how many times it turns up, but it's another classification uh, that's given to individual uh, compositions in the Psalter, but it doesn't apply to all of them. So you have some that are technically uh, in Hebrew understood as psalms, some are songs, uh, and the precise difference between these, by the way, is kind of difficult for us to to discern. It seems uh, Ms. Mora or Psalm has to do with accompanied uh, singing, so with a musical instrument. Um, a, a sheer or a song seems to focus more on the vocal element, so maybe it's sung, sung unaccompanied, but oftentimes these terms are, are paired together. Uh, you find psalms that are both, what are in Hebrew, a sheer and a mizmor, a song and a psalm. So they're, they're actually given both titles. And then there are other more obscure titles too, by the way, um, that describe some of the psalms that uh, scholars really can only guess at as to what really this stands for and means. Um, meanwhile, um, modern scholars have their own kind of classification systems for understanding psalms, and so many psalms defy s- simplistic classification. They're, they're their own unique thing, every one of them, and um, and so you know, I think it just adds to the richness of, of the of what we have there. I love the ambiguity of it personally. It feels like like the image I have is somebody collecting a bunch of beautiful things, songs, art, poetry. You know, I, I, some of them sound like songs that you would sing in Sunday school. We'll put those in there because they teach something. Here's songs we sing in the liturgy, but we'll throw those in there because they are really great. I mean, I just have that sense of them being a broad variety of things. But what what I'm also hearing is that there's an underlying uh, logic, if you will, to the arrangement they are being put together in a way that that does something overall as opposed to just here's a just a random collection of stuff exactly right yeah that is a whole area of uh, of i think very interesting study um is just the arrangement themselves i mean augustine himself for instance um he just admitted right up front i don't have a clue as to why the psalms are arranged the way they are um, other uh, others and amongst the rabbis would would say similar things. You know, don't don't try to decipher it. Uh, but a lot of good work has been done lately to understand what is there and and the clues that we do get as to why certain psalms are pieced together. I mentioned before that the first book of the psalms, which is really technically it starts a book as, as, at Psalm three, Psalms one and two are like an introduction to the whole thing. But Psalm three to forty one and how they're all Davidic psalms. And the exceptions are anonymous psalms. Right? They, they, they don't have any name attributed to them, but they've been associated with David by their placement in, in the midst of all these other Davidic psalms. There's no question about that. Um, there, there's, there's some deliberate stuff going on there. There's some deliberate arrangement. Um, these psalms are meant to be heard in a certain way. Uh, and I think that's the benefit of asking this kind of question is, how does it help us to hear the psalms um, and I think especially when we think about um, David or his you know, greater heir praying them, it helps us to hear also the voice of Christ in the Psalms. Um, as we know, his earthly life was no walk in the park. He, he suffered for us. You know, he died for us. And his whole life was a life of suffering, you know, of bearing 
with human beings uh, and, and he bears with us. He forgave his enemies of whom we are the greatest, you know, he doesn't hold our sins against us. He does all this. So we can hear um, in the Psalms uh, the voice of Christ primarily, I think, who leads us in our own lament and then, uh, you know, helps us to move beyond that to praise, as we said before. I think this is really important. You know, returning to Augustine, he had this beautiful image of Christ is the head and we are the body. The head is praying, so the body can't help but follow. It's just, it's like that with the resurrection. The head is risen. Christ is risen. The body can't help but follow. And we are the body of Christ. What's well, like that in our prayer life too. We, we don't pray alone. And I think this is something that's really important uh, for your hearers as, as they use the Psalms to, to remember when you, when you feel alone, and oftentimes we, we move to prayer because we do feel very isolated and we feel like we've got nowhere else to turn. We are never actually alone. And when we join in the Psalms, we are, we are not initiating anything. We're being initiated into inhabiting, to use N.T. Wright's term, we're being initiated into the larger prayer life of the church, and we realize we're not alone. We're praying together with believers of every age and uh, in every time, every place, uh, and most importantly, with Christ himself who leads us in our prayer. Okay, so prior to this, the primary category I had the Psalms in was, here's Old Testament prayers. I knew many of them talked about Jesus or referenced him, you know, in that prophetic way. But what you're saying now is, as I pray a psalm, then I am imitating, I'm literally imitating Jesus. These words were written down by God, by Jesus. These are his words, also his words when he was alive, or present, I should say, uh, physically. Um, and so there's a very much a not aloneness in the prayer because these are it's like it's like being able to sit at Jesus's feet and ask him how do we pray and he tells me here's the Lord's prayer and here's all the other prayers <laughs> here's all the stuff that I'm constantly praying and now I it, you know I don't have to wonder what did Jesus pray here it is I mean that's that's cool <laughs> yeah no it is it's wonderful it's um yeah, and, and it is, of course, both. It's both about Jesus and the voice of Jesus. I think it's, it's both important to keep both of them because so many Psalms are, you know, I'm just thinking randomly of Psalm 105, wonderful little section in Psalm 105 about Joseph you know, and you know how he, Joseph's life, of course, followed like an upside-down uh, uh, parabola, didn't he? It, 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 he had this descent into the deepest caverns and, and, and ascent to lead Egypt and all that. And... Um, it's hard not to see there um, a, a kind of a typology of the life of Christ himself. Um, Philippians 2 describes the life of Christ in the same way. You know, the Son of God did not see equality with God, something to be grasped, but you know, he took on the form of a servant and became obedient to death. He comes down, and then, but therefore his name is exalted above every name, you know, and he is, he is resurrected, vindicated, sits at God's right hand. Um, so, I mean, there's an example of a psalm that, well, okay, in the first instance about Joseph, it, it recalls this, but typologically, I think it invites reflection on on, on the, the Joseph's <laughs> you know, a final antitype, but one whom he, he kind of points to in his very life. Uh, and of course, we can get the same sort of message from the narrative of Joseph in Genesis too. So there's that sort of prophetic, here is Jesus, greater son of David, you know, very much pointing forward to the, the future Messiah, uh, but in so many ways, I think we, we kind of 
we also need to hear the Psalms as the voice of Christ leading us in prayer, like you say, and that because Christ prayed them in, in just the way you know, you've articulated there. He, he prayed them, they're his prayers, so we, um, we get to join in that. Thanks for listening today. We'll pick up the rest of this interview in our next episode. In the meantime, please consider joining us for a contemplative prayer retreat in the beautiful Colorado mountains. There's no better place to pray with Jesus. We take care of all the details and provide lots of support for you as you seek time to be alone with God. Many dates are available, but space is limited. So register today at signpostin.org. And may the grace of Christ go with you wherever the road takes you.